Good afternoon, church. Please turn with me to your Bible to Isaiah 53. Um, I'll be reading through the NESB, so it might be a bit slight, uh, slightly different for what you have there, but just go with me and you will be able to read together. Isaiah 53, from verses 1 to 12. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the harm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of patch ground. He has no stately form or majesty. That we should look upon him, no appearance, that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging of stripes, we are healed. And all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamp that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered him, that he was off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his land, in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see of it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out 
himself to death and was numbered with the transgressions. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Transgressors, so pardon me. Please let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, our prayer as we come to thy feet is that you will feed us with your word. You will open the eyes of our understanding. You will illuminate our hearts and cause our hearts, hearts to burn as we hear about you. Lord, speak to us and cause Christ to be lifted up in our lives and in our hearts. Blessed be your name, O Lord, for in Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Thank you again. Um, no needs for introduction. I'm sure you've heard over and over again. We're from Southern Grace Bible Church. This afternoon, I want to share with you uh, a topic um, that I've titled The Great Exchange. And basically, this Great Exchange is um, an exposition on 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, I'm sure most of us here know something about, something about a great exchange. I'm sure you know that to, for instance, buy a vehicle, uh, you will need to give something that is of value, isn't it? Uh, for you to buy a shoe, maybe your shoes, you will need to give the equivalent, isn't it, of that shoe. So we know something about exchange. So you will give 1,000, sorry, what's the uh, shilling to buy a plate of Nigerian food. It's what we discovered just from our stroll yesterday. Uh, to get coffee, you will need to pay for that which you want. So the more valuable this thing is, the more expensive it will be. And so in a way, you can know how precious or expensive something is from what you need to pay for it. And this is kind of what I want to show us from Scripture. And I want to do this with three headings that come out of that text in 2 Corinthians 5.21. The first thing we will see is the originator of salvation. And of course, we see that that is God the Father. The second thing we will see from that verse is the sacrifice of salvation. And we know that's our Lord Jesus Christ. And thirdly, what we'll see is the benefactor of salvation. And we know that that is those who are saved by grace, the elect, those who have turned from their sins to God. So please, let's look at that scripture again. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. For he made him. So the question is, who is this he who made him? 
my dear brothers and sisters, this is God the Father. Uh, at the very beginning of salvation, the, the first person that you see is the Father. There is this idea that God the Father has no hands in salvation. And that the whole testament is filled with judgment such that you can't approach this father. He's so angry. He's so disinterested with um, man and our sins that all he wants is some kind of judgment. It's like God the father is just waiting to judge us. Whereas God the son is the one that is friendly with us. I don't know whether this is prevalent in Nairobi or in Kenya, but there's this sense in Nigeria of this idea that there is God who doesn't really love us, but has given us some laws. And to get to him, you have to go through Jesus, who is more friendly to get to the Father. And I need you to banish that thought. God the Father is not this unloving uninterested being, being begged to accept the sacrifice of a sinless son. No. God the Father initiated salvation. Indeed, we see all of our scriptures that he, God the Father, is the originator of salvation. Remember, it was God who covered Adam and Eve with animal skin when they sinned. It was, it was this God that sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from 400 years of slavery. My friends, Ephesians 2 foresays but God. And, and that is what begins the, the story of our salvation. We were in sins and trespasses, but God. What happened to any man that is saved by grace is the God factor, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is God the Father loving us while we were his enemies. While we had a rifle against God in rebellion, he looked on us with his love. That popular verse in 16, in, in John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world, isn't it? That he gave his only begotten son. Let me ask you, can you give your son for your enemy? What, what love that God demonstrated that he sent his son to save us. Dear friends, but God, if not for God, this is the Father. And if you want to see the love of God, you find it displayed in salvation. So we see him start, you know, this work of salvation in our lives. We see him start the work of making us alive with Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we still sinners, Christ died for us. 
So no, no man moved the hands of God. Nothing in us moved the hands of God to demonstrate his love to us. Not our works. Not where we are born. Not what tribe we come from. God looked on you and I with his mercy and saved us. So salvation is God's demonstration of his love and mercy towards us. And just in case you are going through some suffering and, you're, and you still ask that question, am I loved by God? You find that answer if you are saved. God indeed demonstrates his love nowhere clearer than in his son. He gave the best. To rescue you and I. So we also see a shadow of that. On how Abraham gave his son Isaac. Of course Isaac. Uh, was deserving of death. Because he was a sinner. But the shadow of that is that we see the son of God. Who is holy and perfect. And not deserving of death. Yet the father offered him up. No lamp appeared on the cross. The son died for our sins. Indeed, the Bible tells us it was before the foundations of the world that Christ was slain, isn't it? So the father gave his son. As some have said, if God himself provided the sacrifice, be, be sure, be rest assured that he will accept it. And this is the very important implication for this. That it is the father who sent the son. And so the sacrifice of the son is accepted by God. Another application you can look at is that if God made his spotless innocent son sin, that we might be rescued from his wrath, should be rest assured that he will send to hell will punish in his rod those who do not offer this, who do not accept this offer of exchange. So, my dear friends, what else can God give us to show that he loves us? What else do we want God to give us to demonstrate that he loves us? So, Jesus is an offer, yeah. God is saying, repent, take my son and give me your sins. In the same book, same chapter, in verse 19, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, it says, God was in Christ. The father was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I hope we can see clearly the love of God for sinners. Secondly, second point, from that same text, it says for he made. We, we know who that for is. That he there, we know it is God the Father. It says for he made him who knew no sin to be sin first. So who is this him here? Yeah? As I have mentioned or I've referred to the Emir is the son of God. 
the second person of the Trinity, the one who became flesh, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the one born of a virgin, pure, undefiled, within and without, the perfect, obedient servant who obeyed his Father even unto death. This Amir is the God-man who knew no sin. And, and I went through all that because you, you might say, what makes Christ, who was born, different? And it is, so these things I've mentioned. First, that he is God. Second, that he was born of a virgin. Third, that he was without sin. These three things, and even the resurrection, demonstrates to us that this is the Son. That this man, Jesus, who was born some 2,000 plus years ago, is the Messiah. And is the Him being referred to here. So the first thing you see about uh, this great exchange, because we are, we are looking at God who loves us, and because of the love that he has for us, is now going to buy us. Is now going to redeem us. But because of how, how much sin that we have committed, remember in the morning how Pastor Saga showed us that if you want to think about your sin, you think about it from every hour, isn't it? Because God will punish every sin. Remember in the garden, it was one sin that plunged man into the state we are now, isn't it? And so we find that this, this, this perfect son, this one that will die for our sins, we find first that he is one who the Bible describes as who knew no sin. Somebody asked... Um, after service today, that I mean, why Jesus? Well, I mean, we're all serving God. Uh, even the Muslims that say they serve God, isn't it? But but what makes Christianity different? And this this, for instance, is one reason why Christ, why the Lord Jesus Christ, is the only Savior, is the man, is the only man that you can describe as who knew no sin. And we've seen the implications of that. So it, is, it was necessary and, and expedient that a perfect, unspotted, unblemished sacrifice be presented for the remissions of our sins. See, we, had, we have and had seen so much that there was nothing that could save us. There was nothing that could save us. If Jesus had one sin, just one, if he committed one lie, just one lustful look, just one, he will not be qualified to pay for our sins. Because he himself will need a savior. And we see a picture of this in the Old Testament where the Israelites will bring a spotless lamb to be sacrificed for their sins. But the Bible teaches us that this man, this man who God has sent to take away our sins, say, the Bible says, who knew no sin. And, and this word, 
who knew no sin is a Jewish expression, which means to have no personal experience with sin. You and I know what that means, to have some experience with sin. The Bible goes further to show us what that means again in Hebrews 4.15, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 7.28 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. 1 John 3.5 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him... There is no sin. Amidst a violent world, amidst a deceitful world that we see in the marketplace and in the office and everywhere, Isaiah 53 that we read earlier says, This man, unlike all men, had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. I don't know if you can hear me this afternoon. To see what a great, great savior we have. To see what a perfect sacrifice that paid for our sins. What a God. What a, what a man. Indeed, there is no man like this man. A spotless man. Have you ever heard of a man like this? Have you in any religion heard of a man who was spotless? And unless you give it away immediately, if you are sinful yourself, you cannot pay for the sins of another. And so this is what separates the Lord Jesus Christ from every man. See, when the Pharisees wouldn't believe the works of Jesus, Jesus said to them in John 8, 48, which, of, which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus points to his holiness, his spotlessness, to point this hypocrite to the fact that he was the Savior. So Christ, as I said, pointed his holiness to prove that he was a savior sent from God. Dear brothers and sisters, God the Father will accept nothing less. So if you are here and you think because you grew up in a pastor's house or because you come to a Baptist church like this, that there's something about your works that God will accept. Dear friend, hope you've heard this standard that I've said before you. God won't accept anything less from pure sinlessness. I'm, I'm not talking about someone that sinned and then begged God for forgiveness. No. This is the standard. The sacrifice must be spotless. The price 
For your sins and my sins must be the blood of one who has never sinned. One who is undeserving of what we deserve. So dear friends, do you know of anyone who is qualified to die for us? Can Mary maybe die for us? Do you think Mary can be a perfect mediator? Maybe, maybe your pastor. Do you know of any man that qualifies with this description? Do you know of anyone qualified to die for your sins, save the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember that the Bible tells us that there is only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. And we see that it is the humanity of Christ that was spoken about here. It was a man that sinned at the beginning, remember? So it is a man that can pay for the forgiveness of our sins. And I mean, just when we speak to people on campus, when we speak to um, um, Muslims, we, we ask them these questions. Who will pay for your sin? Because if a man needs his own sin to be paid for, then he's disqualified. And have you heard that indeed this Jesus, who is the perfect lamp, is, as we heard in the morning, the one who God has exalted. And so this is the description of the one who will, indeed, God will give that he might ransom us. That passage we read about the Lord says, to be seen for us. And, and many say that this means that in some way on the cross, Jesus was seen. Or he had seen. From what we just talked about now, the minute that happens, it can no longer be a perfect sacrifice, isn't it? So what does this mean? It says he knew no sin to be seen for us. Not that Jesus was not made sinful in the text, but sin. He was made, says, he knew no sin to be sin for us. So Paul isn't saying that Jesus became a sinner or that God made him commit sin. No. As we have seen, Jesus committed no sin. None. He committed no sin at no time. When he was age 6, age 12, 18, he committed no sin at no time. He was never a sinner. He was not a sinner and did not become one on the cross. On the cross, Christ was not personally guilty of sin, nor was he punished. Or any sin that he ever committed. A clever picture of this is seen in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes we were healed. That word bore there means to carry up or to offer up. As we see 
um, a, as we see, uh, the, the priestly act of, of, in the Old Testament, where you see priests take um, that sacrifice into um, the altar for sacrifice. The, the minute the priest took that offering, it was, it took it into that place for the person that brought that sacrifice. The priest all of a sudden didn't have, you know, the, the sins of that man or that woman on, on themselves. It is in that same sense that this he himself bore sins means to carry up or to offer up as a priestly act for our sins. So this is the great exchange that we begin to see. It took our death to give us his life. So this is the essence of the great exchange. We who deserve the wrath of God, we who deserve the punishment of God, Christ took on himself our punishment. He took the penalty of our sins by paying for it on the cross. That same first Peter in 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Another scripture in Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Another scripture, and then we'll move to the next point. In 1 John 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. So my, my dear friends, I, I hope you can, you can see what this text is saying so far. It says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God the Father, demonstrating his love for us, made the Lord Jesus Christ the perfect, spotless sacrifice to be the sacrifice, to be the one to pay for our sins. And so we find in the B part of this verse that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so we, we see the blessings of God's love towards us in Christ. That blessing is that we might become, because before now, we were not children of God, but children of wrath. Before now, we were sons of obedience, but now we have become the righteousness. We now have the righteousness of God. And, and this is what God does for every believer. Remember, but God is that he takes his son and pays for our sins so that his wrath will not be upon us. So the benefactors of this salvation 
is those who have believed in his son. Says that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So again, yeah, we see the reason God made his son to be sin for us. We see why Christ died for us. That we, you and I, might become what we cannot be on our own. This is the great exchange, dear friend. The great transaction. That Christ will bear our sins on the cross. And then give us his righteousness in exchange. I mean, this kind of exchange doesn't happen in the world. You will have to give something valuable to get another thing valuable, isn't it? But you and I have nothing to give. God the Father has given His Son. And all we need to do is believe in the work of that Son. So whether you have money or you don't, whether you know someone influential or you don't, God has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for your sins. See, this righteousness of God is a righteousness that we can never accomplish ourselves. If it was the righteousness of Paul or the righteousness of a man, Maybe we might try, isn't it? But this righteousness that we are given through Christ is the righteousness of God. Oh, that all men will, will hear this, that their righteousness is but filthy rags before God. Whenever you come before God, even as a Christian, and you come because you come to church, and you're before God because you are active in church, and you come and you are before God because you give the biggest tithe. You have moved from Christ. You have moved from grace. It is Christ and Christ alone. That is the reason that we stand righteous before God. So. We have been given a righteousness that we could not accomplish. And this is what we must tell everyone. The campuses and the bus stops. On the internet, everything. We must tell people that God has sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins. So his righteousness is life. Is the standard. And, and that is what God does through Christ. So yeah, he says that we, that we, yeah, we see that it is those who have repented of their sins and trusted in the work of his son alone that are benefactors of this divine exchange. You cannot buy the righteousness of God. You cannot work the righteousness of God. It is solely by grace alone and it is by this grace, this but God, that we become benefactors. So if we cannot work our righteousness, if, we, if all we have is sin and we don't have the righteousness of God, 
then it means it is God that indeed will how we can be righteous. It is God that will tell us how we can be righteous. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. So do you know about this righteousness, the righteousness of God? Righteousness, in the biblical sense, is a condition of rightness, the standard of which is God. The righteousness of God is the righteousness of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the work of His Son approved by Him. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. So apart from this redemptive work, none can be saved. None can have the righteousness of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And it says also that it is by one man's obedience that will be made righteous. It is not by yours or mine. So we have no righteousness tenable before a thrice holy God and anything short of the righteousness of God is unacceptable. My dear friends, as Christ knew no sin, so we know no righteousness. In Romans, Paul shows how this righteousness of God is the foundation of the gospel, declaring, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous of men, sorry, but the righteous man shall live by faith. In closing, let's just focus for a few minutes on the last two words in this verse. It says, for he made him, we know who that is, the Father, who knew no sin, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, to be seen for us, we who are sinners, that we who are sinners might become the righteousness of God in him. So you find that outside of Christ, if you're not in him, you cannot have the righteousness of God. So in him, we must all end up in Christ. It is those in Christ that have this divine righteousness. And outside of Christ, as the Bible says, you can do nothing. And that is why Paul said in Philippians 3, 9, that I may be found in him. That I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, not on the basis of works, the basis of faith. So the question I want to ask you as a roundup is, if God looks at you, will he see you in Christ? Or will he see Christ? If, if he looks at you, 
Will he find you in Christ? Because outside of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. Outside of Christ, all men will pay for their sins in hell eternally. So quit trying to work your way to heaven. Useless. Quit trying to act like a Christian. Quit. Quit. Some try to walk their way to heaven through good works. In Nigeria, there's something called Sara. You just go around giving people food. And the idea is that God will just see you and say, wow, very nice guy. Then somehow, your good works, quote unquote, will get you to heaven. This is even preached in the churches. And maybe you think that because you are in a confessional reformed Baptist church, that God will just lump us all together on the last day, and then you will find a way behind Pastor Eric into heaven. I am saying this to you and I, that every sin we commit must be paid for. And I'm saying to you and I, that the only one that can pay for that sin is a sinless man. The only person qualified for that job is the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So forsake all the works of flesh and put your faith in the finished work of Christ. There is flesh available for us. So let us abandon self and be in him. Let's be found in Christ. And let me just say this to those of us who are believers. There's a tendency, like the Galatian church, to start in the spirit, to start by having faith in Christ, but then we think that our, sanctific our sanctification is now solely dependent on us. And so we abandon Christ and think we can be sanctified by what we do. It's in Christ that we are sanctified. If you are not here, if sorry, if you're here and you are not a believer, be rest assured that there's no other way. There is no way you will make heaven. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. Is the one that God has said will satisfy his wrath. I mean, if you, if you sin against your parents or, as I say, you, you are caught in an exam or doing wrong, malpractice. Do you tell the school or do you tell your parents what kind of punishment uh, that, that you know, they, will, they will give to you? No, isn't it? And that is what Christ is. God is satisfied in Christ. It is his sacrifice that takes away the wrath of God. So, as the verse says, that we've been looking at, for ye, 
God the Father, made him God the Son, who knew no sin. That's how you know he's the Savior. To be seen for us. For you and I who were born in sins and trespasses. This Christ that God has given us. He has given us that Christ that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, there is salvation in no one else. That includes you and I. But there is no other name on the heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. For that we see just from this verse. That the portion that is ours is that we are the sinners. We see that even though you created us, we have rebelled against you. And you have demonstrated your love towards us by sending your only begotten son. This son, sinless, spotless, born of a virgin. Deserving of life because he obeyed the law. This son, because of all sinners, died on the cross of Calvary. And so he took our sins and gave us his life. Oh, we thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this, this old time truth that changes man from sinner to saint but we pray that if there's anyone yeah who has relied on his own works or put his faith in anything outside of christ that you please turn our turn ease our heart back to the perfect sacrifice so we thank you, we thank you for your word. Blessed be your name, O God, for in Jesus' name I've prayed.